last time I was in the, in the pulpit, I was emphasizing the fact that you and I were created for community. At the time of our creation, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. We are people who need people. We cannot live authentically human lives without meaningful relationships. Life is meant to be experienced together. And that's especially true when it comes to living out our Christian faith. We are all baptized into one body, says the Apostle Paul. We are members one of another. If we belong to Christ, then we are automatically, we automatically belong to that special community that Christ founded and loves, the church. There's not the slightest hint in the New Testament that a Christian can live in isolation, cut off from other believers. It never would have occurred to the early Christians to say negatively, well, who needs the church? A solitary Christian living apart from the faith community was simply unthinkable. Christian faith is all about doing life together. But authentic Christian community doesn't just happen. With the help of the Spirit, we have to work at it. In the New Testament, there's a remarkable word that keeps popping up all over the place. It's the Greek word alilon, which means one another, each other, mutually, reciprocally. There are about 60 times where one another is used in reference to the way that we should live in the body of Christ. These are commands that form the basis of all true community. So then the church were called to practice loving one another, building one another up, living peacefully with one another, forgiving one another, confessing to one another, carrying one another's burdens, and so on and so on. So in a series of messages, which I actually started a while ago, I want to explore some of these one another's with you to a view to strengthening our community here at MPC. Today's topic, encouraging one another, actually flows naturally from the one we examined last time I was preaching, and that is encouraging one another flows from loving one another. In fact, there are a number of places in the New Testament, in Thessalonians, and Romans, and Hebrews, where you find these two verbs, love and encourage, in the same passage. Flowing out of love for one another is the work of encouragement. Encourage one another. And I can't think of anything more helpful for building up this church body, and I can't think of anything more lacking in the world at large. We live in discouragement. Many of us do. We're surrounded by pressures and stresses, harassed by deadlines and, and demands. We're bruised by worry and adversity and failure. We are broken in disillusionment. We're lost in despair. We live in a world of put-downs and sarcastic remarks, people finding fault for whom everything is negative. There are, in fact, discouragers all around us. It's no secret that churches are discouraged. Across the country, church attendance is down. More and more people are claiming to have no religious affiliation whatsoever, especially true in the Pacific Northwest, where I think Seattle is has the more atheists than any other large city in America, actually. Christianity continues to lose influence uh, that, that it once had in our culture. Christian values and morality are no longer assumed. In Europe, the situation is even worse. I read that 50% of all Britons claim to be atheists. So many great churches in Europe, those beautiful churches, 
are now empty and are becoming museums. Many of the village parishes in, in England, in, in Great Britain, uh, the Church of England is now saying that these are going to be festival churches that, that is only open for Christmas and Easter. The rest of the time, you know, I guess they are empty. There aren't enough people to support the churches. Europe is ahead of us in terms of de-Christianization, but America is heading that way. We live in a very different world. And our enemy, the devil, just loves it, right? Loves to see God's people discouraged. If he can get people focused on all their problems and sufferings and take their eyes off God, lose hope, then he has won a major victory. So it's important, therefore, that we in this church, in our faith community, encourage one another and remind ourselves of our sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus. According to Webster, the word encourage means to inspire with courage, to give spirit or hope, hearten, to spur on, stimulate, to give help. And that's not far from what the Bible means by encourage. The Bible's original Greek word for encourage is parakaleo, which means literally called to the side of. To encourage someone, we stand alongside them in order to assure them, to urge them onward, to be a pillar of strength for them, perhaps when they are weak. So let's look at how this, this word, encourage, parakalau, is used in context. And so I invite you to turn with me to the letter of Hebrews, to chapter 10. Hebrews is written to a Jewish Christian group of churches. We're actually not sure who the writer was, but he was very concerned about the faith and, and uh, the life together of this community of faith. Uh, the churches were undergoing a lot of persecution, a lot of social pressure, a lot of political pressure. Uh, and many of these Christians were tempted to, uh, to just kind of give up, you know, to kind of cave in, just kind of give in to culture and so on. Their faith was waning, and uh, discouragement began to take over in these churches. So then we have this writing from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus Christ is our high priest. We are not alone in this world. We're not orphans without hope or power, but... uh, Christ has opened the gates of heaven, has given access to us, access to God the Father. We can draw near to him. He is faithful, and he will win in the end. Given that incredible reality, that wonderful hope, Hebrews says, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I like that phrase. Let us consider. 
Let's carefully think about this. Let's put some creative thought into this. How can we encourage one another? How can we come alongside one another in this discouraging world and help one another stay strong in the faith, holding fast to the hope that we have in Jesus? So let's take a moment and uh, think together. How may we encourage one another? What's interesting to note is that the writer makes a connection between gathering together for worship, meeting together, and encouraging one another. Again, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And certainly one of the ways that you can encourage your brothers and sisters in this place, in this faith community, is simply to show up on Sundays to worship God and give God the priority that God deserves in our lives. Someone asked a deaf and dumb man, why do you come to church each Sunday when you cannot hear the service? And he wrote out this reply, I come each week to let people know what side I'm on. It's nice to know that you and I are not fighting life's battles alone but that we can come alongside each other because we are all in it together. We're the same team. We struggle together. And it's good to know that we're not the only ones who care about Jesus. We're not the only ones who care about being saved and finding new life in him. Sometimes we can feel like Elijah the prophet who was totally depressed and discouraged, you know, because Jezebel, the wicked queen, was chasing him. And, and, uh, and uh, Elijah was feeling sorry for himself, and he kind of prayed out to God, God, to this effect, am I the only one who hasn't bowed the knee, bowed the knee to, to, to Baal? Am I the only one who's faithful here? And actually, God reminds him that, he, no, he's not the only one. There are others, too, who are faithful. We need that reminder in this culture where it's very fashionable not to believe in God at all or to have any sense of a Christian value. Man, we need each other. It's not easy being a Christian in our land today. Now, I've said this before, um, but coming to worship these days is a profoundly countercultural act, especially when the Seahawks are playing at the same time. <laughs> there are so many other ways, you know, there are so many other ways you can spend a Sunday morning. But by coming here to worship, you not only give priority to God priority that God deserves, but you are encouraging your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Here we are reminded of the common hope that we have in Jesus, and we're inspired to live for him. We need that reminder and that inspiration. Don't give up meeting together, says Hebrews, but encourage one another. That's sort of simple, isn't it? You want to encourage your brothers and sisters? Show up on Sunday morning. How else can we encourage one another in Christ? Well, we can pray for each other. We can pray for the health and growth of this church so that we'll do whatever we can to build this body up and not tear it down. We can actively come alongside others in this fellowship whom we know are going through a difficult time. Our visits and our notes and our words of encouragement mean more than we know. 
We can encourage one another through the exercise of our gifts and talents. What can, what can you contribute to this community of faith? Do you have the gift of teaching, the gift of music, the gift of service or hospitality or generosity or leadership or mercy? We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us, says Paul. So let us use them cheerfully for the building up of the common good, for the building up of the church that Jesus so loves. Again, we're all on the same team. We're all players here. We're not spectators. It's not that the staff does everything. It's actually the staff's job to mobilize you to exercise your gifts of ministry because here in this church, everybody's a minister. Everybody is called and ordained by God by virtue of our baptism. How are we living that out? Certainly in the world, importantly, but how are we living it out here as we practice the one another's of faith? Remember, we're practicing the one another's. We're practicing one anothering one another. Can you encourage this church financially? Is that an opportunity for some of you? Dwayne Pearson will be addressing this particular need shortly. How about being part of a study or a life group or being part of a particular ministry of this church? Are these not ways of spurring one another on to love and to, to, love and to do good deeds and to hold fast our hope in Jesus? One of the great encouragers of the Bible is a fellow by the name of Barnabas. In fact, his very name means son of encouragement. His whole life in the church could be summed up as a ministry of encouragement to others. You may recall that it was Barnabas who, who was willing to trust that one-time persecutor of the church, Saul, who later became Paul, standing by him when all the other Christian leaders would have nothing to do with him. Barnabas believed in him. It was Barnabas who was willing to take a risk with a hot-headed young man by the name of John Mark at the time when John Mark and Paul were having a, uh, you know, kind of a fight, falling out. Barnabas encouraged John Mark by believing in him, working with him to bring out the best in him in the service of the kingdom of God. In fact, wherever uh, Barnabas is mentioned in the scriptures, he is encouraging others. He encouraged the whole church financially at a time of desperate need. It was Barnabas who sold his land and brought every dollar and placed it at the feet of the apostles. And the story is told in the book of Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 11, we read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I mean, what a guy, Barnabas. What a hero found a variety of ways to encourage others in the Lord personally, relationally, financially, spiritually. He was always encouraging somebody. And in this last case, he was encouraging people who were new to the faith. 
he was always encouraging his fellow believers to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts because the Lord was the most important reality in all of life. So then the question is, to whom can you and I be a Barnabas? To whom can you and I be a Barnabas to the people of this church and to this community of faith? I was greatly encouraged by some Barnabases a couple of weeks ago. As you may know, Valin and I went to Turkey on a mission trip. Their purpose was really a, it was a mission trip of mutual encouragement. We were going to encourage the believers over in Turkey, and they were going to you know, encourage us. So our group of pastors and laypersons wanted to encourage Turkish Christian leaders like Ramazan and Karen in Antalya and Iranian Christian leaders in Istanbul by coming alongside them and assuring them of our love and concern. And so we listened to their stories and heard their testimonies and we, we uh, heard about their many challenges and we, we spent a lot of time praying for each other and we engaged in some leadership training and we worshiped together. Uh, I had the opportunity to preach in our, in our sister church in Antalya with Ramazan interpreting me. My sermon was twice as long as usual. And I was excited to tour their new church building in Antalya. Uh, it is now built, um, and uh, it is not yet being occupied. Uh, it will be, hopefully, by spring. They still need some funds to help buy some furniture and some equipment and so on that they need. Uh, Ramazan tells me that MPC gave the very first financial contribution to this building 10 years ago when the dream was conceived. We gave $2,000, and, and uh, that was really cool. And uh, Ramazan mentioned that publicly to our group, and I felt very proud, you know, that, that we were on the ground floor of this vision that is now coming to reality. And for the Turkish believers, it's not about a building, but it's about the building up the people of God. And what the building does, it gives credibility to, uh, to the, the church there in Antalya. Uh, there's a building. It's recognized. People can go to it and ask questions and so on. And so there's Ramazan actually um, meeting with our group uh, and talking about the building. And so it was a thrill for Valen and for me to actually be there and, and see it and to catch Ramazan's excitement. So that was a very tangible way that we uh, encouraged our fellow believers in Turkey and uh, when we went on our trip a couple of weeks ago, uh, we simply wanted these folks to know that we appreciated them uh, enough to come to them and uh, that they were not forgotten. But, you know, if they encouraged, you know, I mean, if we encouraged them, they by far encouraged us more. Because these believers in Turkey truly put Christ first in their lives. Their faith is the real deal. Their courage is remarkable. They know what it is to suffer for their faith, to stand up for Jesus with incredible social and political pressures against them. Uh, Ramazan and Karen, Glenn uh, and I had some time to be with them in their family home in Antalya. They have very, two very busy kids. Uh, and uh, uh, Ramazan and Karen recently have had to deal with threats against the church and threats against Ramazan. Two weeks before we actually went to Turkey, uh, 17 Christian churches, including our sister church in Antalya, received uh, a death threat via email. Uh, and uh, 
it, it did seem that it came actually from ISIS. Uh, they don't like uh, former Muslims who have now turned to Christianity like, like uh, our pastor friend Ramazan. And so that threat was hanging over them. And you can imagine Karen, this you know, beautiful American woman with her two precious kids, uh, having to deal with this threat uh, in this particular country. Um, so uh, I have the greatest respect for these folks who are willing to endure even death threats in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the most important reality in their lives. And at times for them, it seems like it's a very lonely mission outpost one of the very few Christian churches in a city of two million people. Uh, this is, they have the largest Protestant church, about 150 people. City of two million. And in that culture, to be a Christian is not to be Turkish. And so they have that kind of a cultural pressure. Um, many of, uh, there are many Iranian Christians in Istanbul. Uh, people have come from Iran. Many Christian believers, they, many of them have come to Istanbul as refugees. Uh, and uh, uh, we uh, met with these, these folks. Many, they're actually very young. Uh, they are able to evangelize. They are able to go out into the streets to talk about Christian faith to Iranians. And there's a fairly lively Iranian Christian community in Istanbul and in, and in uh, Antalya. Uh, but in almost every case, especially these gentlemen here, have spent time in jail in Iran for their faith six months at a time. The woman there uh, in the center is actually the pastor. This young woman is pastor of the Iranian Christian community in Istanbul. And on any given Sunday, 350 people come for worship, Iranians. And they're actually meeting in an Armenian Christian church. But this, this woman has spent, spent weeks in solitary confinement. She was convicted of the crime in Tehran of overseeing four house churches. And so they were playing with her mind and everything. And she ended up in Istanbul, and she is now not going back to Iran, obviously, at this point. She's the leader of the church and was our interpreter in Istanbul. So these people pay the price. And so the courage of these believers, their example, their willingness to stand up for their faith in spite of the consequences was really inspiring to our group and to Blin and to me and to all of us who went. Again, for Turkish and Iranian Christian believers, Jesus is everything. Too often in our part of the world, Jesus just gets tacked on to an otherwise busy life and is given, the, you know, he's low on the totem pole in terms of priorities. And so to be in the presence of these guys, these believers, for whom Jesus is everything, you can imagine is an encouragement and inspiration to stand true no matter the pressures to conform to the world. Because what we believe matters. Jesus Christ matters. People need Jesus. And that's why we're here and that's why we're in business. We know we need Jesus. And we ought to be convicted that, man, the world needs Jesus too because he makes a world of difference for us. So Ramazan and Karen and uh, the Iranian Christian leaders in Istanbul, uh, were like Barnabas to us. Again, they encourage us to stand firm in the faith once delivered to the saints. Such a faith is worth fighting for, it's worth going to jail for, it's worth dying for. The world is a crazy place, as you know. It's full of discouragement. 
Man, you just spend any time watching the world news, you know. Talk about discouragement and despair. Yeah, people need Jesus, don't they? More than anything. Hearts need to be changed and transformed. Discouragement is the devil's game. He loves it, especially when God's people are discouraged. You know, focused on all problems and difficulties. But we, you and I, are on God's side, and we know that God wins in the end. He is faithful, and he is worthy of our ultimate trust. So now, how can you and I come alongside others and encourage them? To whom can you and I be a Barnabas? How can we encourage this faith community to maintain its hope in Jesus and grow in our love for others? May each of us give that some serious thought. Let's consider how we can do that. Let's give it some serious thought and act on it. That you and I may spur one another on to serve Christ and those for whom he died. So may it be. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the Barnabases of this world who think nothing but of encouraging people to stay true to the Lord. And Lord, we need that message all the more, even in our country, where there are so many pressures and and issues that would pry us away from you. Lord, we belong to you. We would be sold out believers. We would put you first in our lives. To you be all praise and glory and honor forever, and may we honor you in the way that we live, in the way that we reflect your incredible grace and your amazing love. We pray all these things in the name of the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.